Hello, and welcome to the family at World Harvest Outreach. Well, our friend Randall Worley is here. Uh, those of you that have experienced in the past, I'm sure you have uh, received richly from him. He is our friend. Uh, he is someone who stands with us. He's from uh, nor uh, North Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach, close enough. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So makes me a little jealous in the wintertime. But he and his wife, Penny, have been warm friends of Dawn and I for years. Caleb Sayers introduced us years ago. Very thankful for that introduction. And uh, we really just love Randall. And what the Lord is, says, and does through Randall is deeply impactful. My encouragement to you as he shares today is you truly ask the Lord to open your heart and receive from this rich well, and it will benefit you, and you will not only be better, but I actually think you'll see the Lord more clearly and more, I think you'll fall in love more with who the Lord is as a result of Randall. So Randall, would you come? Could you give him a hand, please, as he comes? Good morning. I have so many fond memories of uh, my previous visits here. Um, if I started talking about that, I would never uh, be able to adequately capture uh, the, uh, the depths of the encounters that I've had with individuals and with the Lord here that have had um, genuinely a very transforming effect on my life. Um, I, I remember I was, I turned around and looked up there at that uh, corner and had just a flood of memories that came over me uh, with the encounters and my wife as well. Um, she would have been here with me today and uh, it's one of her favorite places to go. Um, and uh, it's um, really because of the people here, what we found in our friends Mark and Don and so many others. And um, so it's a special place to me, it really is. Uh, I mean that with all sincerity. It, I, I was thinking earlier, I have a theory about why Jesus frequented the house of Lazarus. Um, I know that we have references in the Gospels uh, to those times that he visited, but I have this feeling that whenever Jesus wanted to decompress, whenever he wanted to get some distance between all the people that thronged him all the time, that he would escape to Lazarus's house. And that's why he was so deeply moved at, uh, at the death of Lazarus and uh, brought him back. Uh, from the, from the dead, but I just have this feeling that, um, that Jesus, when he went to the home of Lazarus, that he could really be himself in a way that he possibly could not have been when he was around so many people that um, were pressuring him with expectations. And... Um, that, that may be a stretch for some of you, but I just, I just have that sense. And, and uh, there are very few places where I feel like that I can really be myself. We should 
we should have that freedom all the time, shouldn't we? Um, but it's just not the case. And here, I've always felt that. Uh, I, I remember uh, that Mark, uh, one of our first conversations, he said, you know, we value the gift that you carry, but we love you more, you, Randall, more than that gift. And I'd never had anybody say that to me. Never had anybody say that to me. So thank you for opening your heart, opening the door, keeping the lights on for me and not changing the, the locks, you know, so to speak. So this morning I, 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 I felt uh, compelled actually yesterday to, to read probably one of the best-known psalms, uh, obviously Psalm 23 is the best-known, but I want to read from uh, the journals of David, and this one is uh, Psalm chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, when he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. So I'll just stop right there, and, and uh, what I want to talk to you about is embracing the season that you are in. And of course, uh, this term, this word, season, in my opinion, is often overused, misused, and even abused, especially in our particular culture or tribe. Uh, when we talk about the community of faith, um, it's misunderstood because when people use this word and they refer to the season that they are in, quite often it's with a great deal of angst. You know, they, uh, it's like, I'm going to somehow get through this, right? I mean, I know you've heard that resonating when people say, I'm just in a season right now and I'm trying to get through it without really realizing that the season that you're in, whether um, you feel like things are blooming, so to speak, you are still in this process of becoming. We were talking about this yesterday, that another word that I hear used with a lot of frequency is transition. I mean, how many times have you talked to people that you haven't seen in a while and you ask them, how are you? And they say, well, I'm in transition, right? And I'm of the opinion that transition is really an ongoing part of the life curriculum. It's, not, it's really not something that ever ends. I'll put it to you this way, that you're either entering a transition in the middle of a transition or on your way to another transition. Because your mother had to go into something called transition for you to even emerge or manifest in this world that you're in. And of course, uh, how many memorial services have you been to? And um, <clears throat> the pastor that's doing the eulogy 
we'll say our dear brother or our dear sister has transitioned this past week at 3 a.m. That, that, that's what it's all about, isn't it? it? So that's why I want to talk to you about embracing the season that you're in. When, um, you know, your change here in Pennsylvania uh, comes earlier than where I live in the South. And I couldn't wait <clears throat> until we started our descent into uh, Harrisburg the other day because I knew that when we came down out of that higher altitude that I was going to see the trees that looked like they had been painted, you know, the beautiful mauves and golds and reds and yellows. And it was what's quite a sight. Uh, I mean, I, I never get tired of it. I've, I've seen it again and again. I've, I've had the experience of being in New England on a number of occasions and, and seeing this, this beautiful change that is taking place. And, you know, when it comes to our way of predicting, uh, you know, our calendar, we have days that are designated as to when spring or fall or winter is going to arrive. And the thing that is problematic about that is that um, seldom does it coincide with what we predict. Uh, are you with me so far? It very seldom does it. You know, I, I, I know that um, on a certain day, that this is supposed to be fall, but where I live sometimes when I walk outside, I'm still suffocated by the heavy, humid air uh, of where we live in the south. The humidity is, I mean, it's like when you walk out, you know, I just took a shower, and I walk out, and within minutes, I'm perspiring. And I'm thinking, well, it's supposed to be fall, but it doesn't feel like it, does it? But then I know when it happens, you know, you don't have to be very intuitive. I know when it really happens, I experienced it just a few days ago, when I opened the door and I walked out and I could feel the change in the air. It was no longer heavy and humid, but it was crisp. Uh, it was, I felt more alive, actually. I didn't feel this heavy, suffocating, humid air. And... Uh, so I'm very much aware, too, that what is going to happen, it's already happening for you, and we're a little bit behind you where I live because the change we will catch up to is that these trees that, you know, there's a reason why we call it fall, right? Because things begin to fall. Things begin to let go. That these trees, that's why he uses the metaphor is, that's why he, you hear of a tree planted by the rivers of living water, and it brings forth fruit in its season that have once been emerald green as they begin to change and turn these other vivid colors that I referenced, that eventually they will drift to the ground, they'll fall to the ground. And when they do, uh, they will be, because of the rain and the ice and the snow, they will begin to decompose and they will feed the root system of the tree from which they came in order to bring it to the next season. 
Are you seeing what I'm talking about? And I think the reason why that is so vivid to me is because, as St. Thomas Aquinas said, that really creation was God's original Bible. It was his original language. And a lot of times the reason why we don't understand this book is because we don't understand that the first book, this is really the second book, that the first book was the creation that was here even before we took our first breath. It was here. And most of the things that we are seeking really are seeking us. Uh, It's almost as if the answers that you are desperate for are essentially hidden in plain sight. I mean, that sounds rather strange, doesn't it? it? They really are. They're hidden in plain sight. God doesn't hide things from us, but he does hide them for us. I mean, that's why the wisdom of Proverbs, you know, chapter 25 says that it is the honor, uh, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the honor of kings to search that matter out. You know, I have frustrated myself so many times over the years in desperation, wanting understanding without realizing that it was right there in front of me. I was seeing it, but I wasn't perceiving it. Because there is a difference, isn't there, between sight and perception. A vast difference between sight and perception. And uh, so, you know, I have, it's been self-inflicted frustration. I want to know what the next season is going to look like. And uh, that's why, you know, sometimes that what is going on around us We are oblivious to not realizing that God often comes to us disguised as our own life. He's there. He's always been there. He is, as we were singing earlier, he's inescapable. His presence is pervasive, isn't it? There's no way to not be in the presence of God. No way not to be. That's why David would say in another psalm, he said, Essentially, where can I go to escape you? You know, if I ascend into the heights of the heavens or if I go to the depths of hell, if I, if I were able, you know, to take wings and go to the uttermost parts of the sea, you are there. God, you know, God is forever in pursuit of us, and that's, that's something that I need to be reminded of. It is so heartwarming that he is aware of me when I am unaware even of myself and of him. Isn't that amazing? If you need reassuring, that in itself will help you to understand that these seasons that we are in, that we, you know, we need to celebrate all of them no matter what it looks like, what it feels like, no matter whether we have a sense of certainty or not. I've I've really been dealing uh, uh, quite a lot in the last couple of years with this concept of certainty and and realize that in many ways, as one author puts it, that certainty is in some ways a sin. You probably never considered that, right? That certainty is in some ways a sin, that the really that the opposite of faith is not doubt. I've all, that's, what, that's been my default setting, 
that the opposite of faith is doubt, but I think in reality that the opposite of faith is certainty. Maybe some of you are resonating with this, is that you're, you're learning that God, he, he has this love affair with ambiguity. And I think that a lot of that is because he, he wants us to embrace the mysteries of various seasons in our lives. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I just really believe that mystery is a great gift it's a wonderful gift. I mean, in some ways, he, he has given us mystery as somewhat of an antidote to monotony. So much of our lives are on autopilot, and, and uh, it becomes very monotonous, right? The, the thing about uh, sameness is that it's boring, but we equate sameness with security. And we are living right now in some very, very uncertain and insecure times. We, we, we don't know that what tomorrow will bring, you know, that sometimes the shifts, the changes are drastic and very unsettling and continue to exacerbate our sense of uncertainty. My wife and I have experienced a number of losses in the last couple of years uh, that were really unexpected. And um, when they first started happening, you know, I wanted to be present for her. And I wanted, I wanted you know, to be compassionate. And, you know, you know, sometimes it seems when people suffer loss, we have this tendency to talk far more than we should. I, I made that egregious error years ago as in young in ministry when I would go to minister to someone that had had, you know, an unexpected loss and I felt this pressure, uh, not from them, and it wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was my ego is what it was, can I be real with you? You know, and I felt like I just had to be verbose and I had to come up with something, had to say something. And really, they didn't need me to say anything. They just needed me to be present. But uh, with my wife, I, um, I said something one day, and when it came out of my mouth after these series of losses, when it came out of my mouth, I knew it was the Lord, but I also recognized that she could have terribly misinterpreted my intent. And... Um, I said, sweetheart, I said, much of our feelings right now and our pain right now in this particular season of our lives, I believe is intensified, exacerbated because we have had an unhealthy attachment to expected outcomes. And you can understand when I first said that, that could sound like I was being insensitive or I was saying, you need to get over it. That's not what I was saying at all. But I, I think you probably recognize that sometimes what happens when we're dis severely disappointed or we feel like something 
happens that we will never get over. The real issue was us, it being revealed to us that we had an unhealthy attachment to the way it would turn out. You didn't expect it, did you? Again, I, I don't want to sound unkind, but I think that is what enables us to go through these diverse seasons and not just go through them, but pardon me, I don't want to sound trite, but to grow through them because you grow through all of them. I mean, these leaves, these beautiful leaves here uh, throughout Pennsylvania, they're, they're going to eventually fall to the ground, and these trees that have in the summer have created a canopy, an emerald can canopy, and now, you know, splashed with all these colors, they'll fall to the ground, and the trees will look like gray skeletons silhouetted against the sky. I mean, the next time you look, next time you see that, remember that God is literally screaming at you. He's saying, this is you. This is what you're growing through. You're not just going through it. It's going to cause you to reach deeper and more organically into the soil of who you are and to those that are growing along with you. Because this is, this is the ecology, uh, this is the wisdom of his ecology and how that we all, am I helping anybody? I mean, how we are all evolving. So embrace the season that you're in. It is, you know, we could go to, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but we could go to the Song of Solomon and see in this poetic language in the Song of Solomon, you know, not many people read the Song of Solomon. It, it is for mature audiences, isn't it? I mean, uh, if you've ever read it. I do too. I love it. But um, in this poetic language, I spend a lot of time there because I get language for my feelings to express to my wife. And uh, sometimes it causes her a blush. But anyway... Uh, yeah, but if you, if you take a close look there, he talks about, in chapter 2 and chapter 4, about the dynamic of winter and what happens in the winter. Um, I'm, I'm, sir, I have no green thumb. I never have, I didn't grow up on a farm. I, I don't know a great deal about agriculture, but I, from what I gather, that when the winters are the most intense and harsh, it will, it's the promise, it's the promise that the fruit will be sweeter come spring. And so, but we don't, we don't usually think that way, do we? Especially when we're in a winter season. And uh, we look like those gray skeletons that I described. We don't feel fruitful. It, it really is counterintuitive, but sometimes when you feel like you're the most fruitful and fulfilled, it's because of what seems to be obvious to you. But sometimes that really the most fruitful seasons that you're in, it, it, it's not very obvious. That's, that's why we need to revisit our concept of success and failure. 
especially in a capitalistic culture like we live in, a success-driven culture, what does success really look like? What, you know, I think wisdom begins with us being self-aware and knowing when things seem to be so contradictory in our lives that wisdom stops saying, why is this happening to me? And responds by, what is this saying to me? What is this saying to me? I, I, you know, I don't want to sound like anybody that uh, uh, presumes to have mastered this in any way. I have not. I constantly remind myself of that. I, I've, I've come to understand that most of the things that are disruptions and interruptions in my life that, that, um, that seem to hinder and impede my progress, that most of those... Um, most of those inconveniences are really an invitation to interpret it as an adventure instead of a disruption. So again, I'm trying to say it in as many ways as I know how, that it's good for us to embrace whatever season that we're, we're in and to accept it and to, and to know again that what you are seeking is seeking you before you started seeking it. You know, I, I read recently that um, this, this may seem like uh, a triviality to a lot of you, but I read recently that the human head weighs between 5 and 11 pounds. And... Um, because we spend so much of our life uh, in this age of technology with our heads down, looking at screens, that that in itself increases the weight that is on your head, making it feel more like a 60-pound weight is on your neck. And so we, we spend so much of our lives looking down, don't we? That's why the Scripture says so much about lifting up your heads. Lift up your heads for your redemption draweth not. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. I mean, it's, I put it this way, it's the gravity of negativity that causes us to not fully embrace whatever season we're in. You know, did you remember when he talked about the man that is fruitful is almost in every season is the one that meditates. And uh, there are probably many of you that would say, well, that's just not something I have an aptitude for. No, you do. You all meditate. I'm not talking about you sitting and just sitting in silence. That's, that's one expression of meditation, sitting in silence. Uh, it's also, you know, the word meditate that is used here. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with it, it has to do with what an animal does in masticating its food and chewing its food again and again. You've, 
I know you have dairy cattle up here, right? Behind your house. And if you watch these animals, uh, you know, the way they chew, and they, I, I don't want it to sound disgusting, I don't want to ruin your lunch, but they, they swallow it and then they bring it back and they chew it again. And because, see, digestion and the assimilation of information uh, does not start in the stomach. Digestion starts in your mouth. That's why David would say in another place, I mean, so laden with meeting, he would say, oh, taste and see. Isn't that interesting? Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. I say, I think a lot of people uh, never really learn anything because they seem to understand everything way too soon. So whatever, you know, whatever season that you're in, and, you know, even though outside we are all in the same season, but in your internal world, all of you, I mean, fall may be coming, but some of you right now, you know, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you're in full bloom. You're in full bloom. Others in here have, uh, you know, they're, they're in a very suffocating summer, a very humid time. The air is heavy around you, it seems, all the time. And so I believe that what he is saying to us is that in, in whatever season we're in, that we should learn to taste and see because it, it affects our ability to see things, the way, the way that we perceive what is happening to us. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Oh, I hear, I was thinking about this the other day, and I hear it quite a lot, especially um, with these unsettling times that we're living in, that um, there's a great premium on people experiencing peace of mind. Um, I, I would suggest to you that if, in your, if you are in your mind, you're, you're never at peace, because peace is not found in our minds. I know what the scripture says about, you know, he will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him, but I think that we have mistranslated what the author meant when he said mind. Because there's, he's talking about something that, it, that is far beyond your cognitive abilities, far beyond what you think is consciousness. Far beyond, uh, yeah, see that, even psychologists will say that what I encounter when I meet an individual is really is only about a representation of about 20% of who they really are. The other 80% is at a subconscious level. And so they've learned to do that. That's how they navigate their world because they recognize through the developmental years that I have to learn what triggers people, I have to learn how to act and react, how to respond. Does that make sense to you? And so, unfortunately, we don't really experience genuine peace, maybe, maybe occasional peace, because we're trying to find it in our minds, and it's just not there. 
which makes it difficult for us to embrace seasons of uncertainty, seasons that uh, seem like things are unraveling. You know, if, if you are right now in the grip of uncertainty, I would like to rejoice with you and tell you it's a good place. And see, to me, this is not just so much, uh, you know, cerebral activity. I, I'm, I, what I'm talking to you about now, I'm living. I'm living it. I, I don't always do so well with it, but I'm living it, and I'm understanding, you know, like the old Buddhist proverb, that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. You know, how many times have you said, especially those of you that are at least around my age, and I'm not going to divulge that, that's not edifying, um, but if you're, how many times have you said, by now I should have understood that? By now, I should have mastered that. And, uh, you know, we, we go through this whole thing of internal judging ourselves, second-guessing ourselves. Well, I think maybe the reason why you didn't learn it is because you weren't ready to hear what you needed to hear, even though you wanted to hear it long before you ever heard it. I'm not sure, I, that just came from a stream of consciousness. I'm not sure. You can't repeat that? I'm not, not, not probably in the moment, I couldn't. I could attempt to. Um, you, can, you, can, you can buy the recording. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little reticent to, to make mention of this, but uh, it, I, for, when you said that, it caused me to think of something that I reference quite often that, uh, and I, my, may have on previous visits here. Um, how many times have I had people come to me after I've taught and they rehearse what they thought I said? And when they did, I mean, I've had this happen so many times, I've lost count. They rehearse what they thought I said, and as they're doing that, I'm thinking, were you even in the same room? Because what they thought I said and what I actually said didn't even remotely resemble one another. Sometimes what they thought I said was actually better than what I said. I mean that with a, I would quickly get back to my room and write it down what they thought I said. This is, um, and I'm coming to a close here. I have a, um, an affinity for an Austrian poet, uh, Rainer Maria Rilke. And I, I, I just want to say this, it, it probably sounds unrelated to what I've said so far, but I really believe right now that most of the prophetic voices are not 
the usual suspects. Um, that we're looking for the, the politician that causes our confirmation bias to be satisfied. And all of us unconsciously have confirmation bias. You're always looking for things to confirm what you already believe. All of us do. But I think that now uh, it was Dostoevsky that said, Fyodor Dostoevsky that said, brilliant Russian author that said that beauty will save the world. And uh, when I first read that, I thought, I'm not sure I understand what that means. I mean, what's going to save this world? You know, you were talking about it earlier, about salvation. We have such a limited understanding of what salvation really is, the essence of it. Uh, He didn't just come to save us from eternal conscious torment, as most of the evangelical church has said. But more than that, he came to save us from ourselves, from who we think we are. Identity is all about us coming to understand that we're not who we think we are or who other people think we are, but we obviously think we are. That's why he said it was quite a conundrum when he said, if you seek to save your life, can you imagine what impact it had on the disciples when he said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it, you'll find it. You know who I believe the real prophetic voices are right now? It's the the artists, the poets. Because they can say things, they can rap sometimes uh, obscure words, ambiguous words around what we're feeling. And when you're looking at it, if you're looking at it on a canvas or you're reading the words of a poet, I mean, and that's what we, that's our text. We read the words of a poet in Psalms. You're looking at it, and there's something that is beyond language that causes you to resonate with what's coming from it. And uh, this Austrian poet, this has been so helpful for me, said, um, don't search for answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Listen to this. Live the questions now. Perhaps then someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. Without even noticing it, you'll just... So embrace the questions. You know? read a long time ago that Jesus was asked 318 questions and he seemed to only give a clear answer to possibly three of them. Or even funnier to me is that in the rabbinical community, they, 
they fondly say of themselves that if you have two rabbis, there's at least three opinions. So I know that my comments may have been somewhat scattered and lacking continuity, but I do believe that uh, we need to learn how to meditate again on the goodness of God and realize, because I hear a lot of people, especially, you know, evangelicals, the, you know, the chatter has ramped up about this is the end, right? I mean, everything, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty clear. This is the end. And um, that's why I hold on to this great aphorism. It's not the end yet because, or, or, or it goes like this, everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Is that biblical? You better believe it is. That's as biblical as it gets. So, I want to pray for you. <clears throat> Thanks again uh, for opening your hearts to me and inviting me. Um, I Actually, I had to <clears throat> pressure Mark for several months to get this invitation. <laughs> just Because I know how much you value honesty here. Okay? But I prevailed. Obviously, I prevailed. Lord, <clears throat> you know the words that are going to fall from my lips before they're even formed in my mind. And uh, that is so calming and reassuring to me. And uh, this family, this community of believers have demonstrated for many years now a courage that is rather uncommon, especially in a very superficial uh, church culture. They have demonstrated this uncommon courage to go after connection, real connection with one another, real heart connection. It just, it comes to me, Lord, that when you hung on the cross, that the geometry of that cross put your heart, your bludgeoned back, it put your heart at the intersection of the vertical and the horizontal beam. And if we want to find your heart, if we want to understand the geometry of the cross, if we want to feel beyond words, beyond um, things that look factual, if we want to feel what you feel, then we have to know you, not only in the power of resurrection, but the fellowship of your suffering. And so, are we able to say together, can you resonate with this, Lord, help us, help us to have a more clear understanding of what we might be suffering, because suffering is inescapable. 
whether it's physical, mental, relational, it is a part of the deal. It's a part of this relationship project that you had in mind. When humans, you knew of what would happen. You knew the conflict. You knew the contradiction. You knew the misunderstanding before you set it all in motion. And if we're going to understand, Lord, we have to go look again at the cross and know that your heart is at the intersection of our connection with you vertically and our connection with one another horizontally. That's where your heart still beats. That's where we find you. That's, why, that's where we discover one another and we see one another not after the flesh. We don't see each other anymore after this marred, egoic persona that we all develop, but you see beyond that, and we're thankful for it. Go ahead and stand. I know I'm two minutes over, <clears throat> but I bless you this morning. I bless you, uh, and I'm so thankful that our lives intersected in time. It means so much to me. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Just stay right there for me. Hey, guys, don't leave yet because um, Randall and I know each other personally, obviously, and we've been talking a lot over these last couple of days. And I want you to know that the message that he just spoke came out of a, like a real place of where he actually is. And oftentimes, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, right? <laughs> and as I've talked with Randall over the last couple of days, I've shared my heart, he's shared his. He's in the midst of, like, what seasonal transition am I in? And he is hoping that the future is good and bright, and he feels change in the air around him. Yeah. Like, what it used to look like in his life, he does not believe, not only does it look like, it doesn't look like it even now versus even what it's going to look like. And there's a part of me that, like, now there's a big part of me. I want to sow into, financially, someone like this who's willing to speak in the midst of the unknowing, of the insecurity, but still, like, confidently stand in front of us and speak from that place. And I'm not exactly sure what you said when I asked you to repeat what you said, but I'll tell you what I thought you said. <clears throat> you might want to get ready to write this down because I'm sure it's good. Okay, but it was something along the lines of, you have been living a long time waiting for the answer and you're already living in the answer. Yeah. Kind of like that? Something like that? I don't know. And I feel like you already are living in that answer. Randall, like I, I, I want to speak to you on behalf of this church family and say that I feel like you're already walking in the answer. I pray it would be, um, how do you want to put words to something? Uh, what's the word? He, he, what is it? Articulated, thank you. And I, I want to sow into the articulation of the answer for you. That's, that's, the, that's how I want to give today. I want to give to the articulation of the answer. Like, I want this family to serve you today. 
Because as you were talking about how your, specifically your one son, Lee, really wants the call of God on your life. Like it, it so touched my heart to hear one of your sons is like devoted to the fulfillment of the call of God on his dad's life. Like I wanna join Lee, your son, in making sure that what the purpose of God is for this time in your life be articulated for you and for the kingdom of God at large today. So if you would like to join me in that articulation of that, I think every time we sow into something like specific, like I said, we get a harvest of that same thing. So if any of you are hoping for a greater clarity of what the heck is going on in my life right now, anybody? The good news is the verse that was on the screen there for the whole time he was speaking was, we're always gonna be planted by the water. That doesn't change. No matter the season that we're in, we're always planted by water. But it's really good to have some level of understanding of the current season you're in so you can act accordingly. Because I've sometimes acted out of season and it's really been detrimental to the current reality of my life. So my prayer for all of us today is that we would give financially into this man's life for that articulation for him, but we also would reap that same harvest for us. Anybody else? Like, I wanna act in accordance with the season I'm in, even if it's mysterious. And even if I don't exactly know what I'm doing, Randall, I can still walk because I'm walking with the knower, right? We're all walking with the knower anyway. So, Father, I ask that you would give us a seed, a knowledge of the amount of that seed, that we might exacerbate, exaggerate what the Lord is doing in Randall's life to the point where it becomes audaciously clear to him as well as to us. May we know even when we don't. And may we walk accordingly. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us into all truth. Thank you, Lord. World Harvest Outreach is located in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, but we have family around the world. To connect with us, visit us at whocenterpa.com.